Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters seven, eight, and nine of Divergent. So where we left off, we had the choosing ceremony, and guess what? She made a choice. What a shocker. She picked Dauntless. She was tossing up between that and um, Abnegation, even though she could have been Erudite, but she's like, oh God, no, I'd never be Erudite. Erudite are disgusting. How dare they have rational thought? She was like, yuck, the pursuit of knowledge? No, thank you. So she was like, I'm either going to commit to this life of selflessness, boring, or go and be dauntless, which just honestly sounds exhausting. My friend watched the movie the other day and she said to me, why are they always running? The dauntless, they're always running everywhere. And I agree, it would be an exhausting life, but I would pick it over abnegation any day. So she picks dauntless and her first task is to jump onto a moving train, which again is a huge shocker, even though everybody knows the trains don't stop. She told us that the trains don't stop. They catch a train to school every day. So yeah, I I don't know why it was a shock, but it was a shock. And then the the initiates started dropping like flies. It sort of seemed like a dauntless girl fell off a roof and everyone was like, oh, them's the brakes. And so then they had to actually jump off a roof to prove their worth. But this time there was a net below them. Why, if they have net capabilities, if they have access to netting, Why do they not just have nets everywhere where the train tracks are? Well, like at least on the platform, like if they always have to jump off of the train onto this building and then run over the top of the rooftop and then jump down the other side, like maybe put a bit of a net below where the train passes just to catch the people that might fall every now and then. Dauntless don't seem to value life. And I think that's, it's, it's an odd premise for me because, because honestly, like this society doesn't seem that well populated. So to have people dropping like flies, like, uh, uh, it just doesn't, doesn't seem right. So she jumped into the net and she said, you know what? Call me Triss. Oh, and she also ran into this guy called Four, who is clearly the old ex-abnegation guy, Marcus's son, clearly. So we start chapter seven with everyone, all the initiates having had jumped into the net. And so then they're led by Four and this chick called Lauren, who I've already forgotten. I don't know what her story is. She feels like they're descending down into this deep heart of the earth through this tunnel and the tunnels are lit by dim lamps 
And then they stop in the middle of nowhere in this dark tunnel and they say, okay, this is where we split up. The Dauntless Born Initiates are going with Lauren. And she's like, you guys probably don't need a tour of the place. Ha ha ha. And she's looking at them going away. And she's like, yeah, most of the initiates were from Dauntless. Funnily enough, most of the people chose to stay with their own faction. But there's nine of them that were transfers from the other factions. And she says, of those, I am the only abnegation transfer. There are no amity transfers. The rest are from erudite and surprisingly, candor. And she says, it must require bravery to be honest all the time. I wouldn't know. So she's just saying that, oh, they're from candor, so they have to be honest. But it takes bravery to be honest, which explains why they're in Dauntless. And I was like, but, but, they're, but they're not candor. They left candor. So why are you assuming that they all have to be honest? They, they dumped candor. They're not candor. And also the fact that she said there's no Amity transfers. I was like, well, I know that's incorrect because the Amity guy was, was back there not wanting to jump off the train. So I guess he didn't jump off the train. I guess he just stayed on that train forever. What's his story? Because I know she said he was an Amity. She made a big deal being like, oh, this Amity guy doesn't want to jump off the train. Now she's telling us there are no Amity transfers. So I guess he never jumped. So is he just like staying on that train forever? Because the trains don't stop. It's a world of scarce resources, but they must have a lot of, I don't know, whatever trains run on these days. Is it coal? Is it oil? Is it electricity? I don't have a fucking clue. I'm not an engineer. Anyway, whatever they, whatever the trains run on, they have enough of it because it's just, they don't stop. And he's, he's never going to jump off. This Amity boy is now factionless, but he's stuck on the train. And there was already that guy who couldn't jump onto the train in the first place. So we're already like two or three down, which makes me think it's risky picking Dauntless. Oh, I tell you what, if you were in two minds about which faction to join, and the other one wasn't Abnegation, obviously, like if it was Dauntless or Erudite, pick the other one, pick Erudite, pick Amity, pick Candor. Don't be picking Dauntless because you're not going to make it through Initiation. It's too hard. And throughout these next chapters, we see what the trials are to pass Initiation, which are just ridiculous. First of all, just accept them. You know, I don't know what they have to prove. They have to prove that they're brave. And then I'm thinking like, so like Erudite, what are they proving? Are they just reading a book? And they're like, oh, you pass. You finished a book. Welcome to Erudite. And then to Amity, what are they doing? Are they baking cakes? Like, oh, Amity, your challenge. Bake some banana bread and drop it off to your neighbor. Then you can prove that you're kind enough to be in our faction. And Candor, what are they doing? Just telling the truth. They're just doing like hot or not games over at Candor. Truth or dare, but it's just all truth. Anyway, so then Four's given them a bit of a speech being like, I'm your instructor for the next few weeks and we're about to go into the pit, which you will someday learn to love. And then Christina is like, the pit, that's a clever name. <laughs> and I agree, it's, it's not a very clever name, Christina. You were right to snicker. But then Four gets up in her face and he's like, what's your name? And she's like, Christina. And Veronica tells us that she squeaks. <laughs> so she was all bluster, but now she's squeaking. And he says, well, Christina, if I wanted to put up with Candace Smartmouths, I would have joined their faction. Ooh. And then they move on into the pit and Christina's like, ugh, what a jerk. And ugh, Tris, she says, I guess he doesn't like to be laughed at. Like, okay, Tris, take your friend's side. I know you just met her, but like, just have a back just this once. You've clearly got a lady boner for this guy called Four and it's already showing. But then four pushes open some doors and they walk into the pit and Christina's like, ah, oh, I get it. 
And Tris narrates that pit is the best word for it. It's an underground cavern. So huge, she can't see the other end of it from where she stands. And there's like uneven rock walls, several stories above her head and built into the walls are places for like food and clothing and supplies, etc. And then there's narrow paths and steps curving from rock to rock to connect them all. And she says there are no barriers to keep people from falling over the side. She feels like an oversight. I know you're dauntless, but could we have a bit of safety? Just a work health safety officer just about to be like, hey, you know what? Let's have a rail because I know you're brave, but like, do you have to tempt fate? But these dauntless people, they're just, they're just like, no, no, no railings for us, please. You can tell when they go and play bowling, they, they don't have the bumpers up. No way. They are playing with the gutters. So she's looking around, people are everywhere. They're all dressed in black. And she says she doesn't see any elderly people in the crowd. And then she's thinking, oh, are there any old dauntless? And she's like, do they not last that long? Or are they just sent away when they can't jump off of moving trains anymore? Great fucking question. I'm wondering the same thing. And like the Dauntless send their kids to school. So like, what are we talking? Kids as young as six, hopping on a train and then jumping off a moving train just to get to school every day. Why do we need to have this centralized schooling system with all the factions intermingling? Can't they just homeschool them all in their own individual factions? And so then Four's like, well, follow me. I'll show you the chasm. So inside the pit, there is a chasm. Okay, I don't appreciate how the Dauntless are naming things. I mean, can there really be a chasm inside of a pit? And she's clocking Four all throughout this little tour. She's like, oh, I see a tattoo peeking out from the collar of his T-shirt. So she's just, you know, catching a side of some skin. They're going to become romantically involved. We all know that. And then apparently he's walking, walking them towards this big waterfall. So inside the pit slash chasm, there's this big waterfall and there is a railing. There is a railing to protect them from dropping off into this river and this waterfall. Man, I'm having trouble picturing all of this. And remember, this is like the middle of future Chicago. And like, yeah, I know Chicago has like canals and shit, but do they have underground waterfalls with caverns? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And Four says, the chasm reminds us that there is a fine line between bravery and idiocy. A daredevil jump off this ledge will end your life. It has happened before and it will happen again. You've been warned. Okay, so foreshadowing. So then Four leads them to a dining hall. And when they walk in, all the Dauntless in there stand up and cheer for them, which is kind of cute. And so she's looking at all the food and she's like, oh, I don't recognize half of these foods. She says, what are these circular pieces of meat wedged between round bread slices? And she's like pinching at it. She's, she doesn't know what the hell to do with it. And Four's like, oh, it's beef. Put this on it. And he, and he passes her a small bowl full of red sauce. <laughs> okay. And so then Christina's like, God, you've never had a hamburger before? What the hell? And she's like, yeah, no, I haven't. Is that what this is? And Four's like, oh, well, stiffs eat plain food. So that, that she's never had a hamburger. And she tells us extravagance is considered self-indulgent and unnecessary. So a hamburger is extravagant. That's what she's telling us. An extravagant dinner is a hamburger. I mean, imagine how she'd react if she ever saw caviar or fucking lobster tail. She would lose a freaking mind if hamburgers are extravagant. So then this guy called Eric comes into the cafeteria and he's got like heaps of piercings on his face. She said, his face is pierced in so many places, I lose count. 
So she's actually trying to count. Like she lost count. So she actually went like, oh, two on the ears, two on that ear, one in the nose. What, what, was, she, what was she counting for? Unclear, but she says, that's not what makes him look menacing. It's the coldness of his eyes. Oh, okay, Tris. Way to be dramatic. Oh, the coldness of his eyes makes him look so menacing. So apparently he's a dauntless leader. His name is Eric and he's young because age doesn't matter here. So age doesn't matter in Dauntless. Okay, that's all well and good for you to be like, oh, age doesn't matter in Dauntless. You know, a a 20 year old can be a leader, but I'm like, yeah, but every time one of them turns 16, you send them to a choosing ceremony and then you have a whole initiation process. So like age must matter a little bit. So Eric comes over to them and he looks at Triss and he's like, oh, a stiff. I think they've got to stop calling her a stiff. I feel like that's rude. She's Dauntless. She picked Dauntless. I guess she has to go through the initiation process before she can be truly Dauntless, but like, she's clearly not a stiff anymore. And also, even if she was, it's kind of rude to go up and call her a stiff. Just say abnegation. I know it's a hard word. That, that G really does trip you off. And that N after a B, it's not natural to, to enunciate it that way. Like, I agree with you. It's a horrible word, but like stiff is kind of mean. And Eric's like, well, we'll see how long you last. And she, she wants to say something being like, I will last maybe, <laughs> but words fail her. And I was like, well, maybe for the best, if, if that's your best comeback, I will last maybe. <laughs> and she's really playing up the fact that Eric's a villain because she says, I don't want Eric to look at me any longer than he already has. I don't want him to look at me ever again. A very heavy handed foreshadowing. And Four's body language is sort of tensed up a bit. So she's thinking, oh, they might be rivals or friends, but she's not getting friends vibe. She's confused by their vibe. And just as she's like wondering what's going on, well, we straight up find out through dialogue. So there's the mystery solved just really quickly. He says to Four, Max asked me to find out what's going on with you. And Four's like, tell him I'm satisfied with the position I currently hold. And Eric's like, oh, so he wants to give you a job, hey? And Four's like, so it seems. And then Eric's like, oh, well, and you aren't interested? And Four's like, I haven't been interested in two years. And Eric's like, okay, well, I'll pass that on to Max. And I was like, okay, thank you for, for letting us in on that private conversation. Triss is just sitting there with a hamburger, just listening to every single word. And like halfway through that conversation, Triss is thinking, oh, maybe Eric perceives Four as a potential threat to his position. My father says that those who want power and get it live in terror of losing it. That's why we have to give power to those who do not want it. It's like, oh, fuck off. You're not going to convince me that abnegation are the best ones to be running the government. Uh Uh-uh. And Tris, her curiosity is piqued. She's like, are you two friends after Eric leaves? And he's like, well, we were in the same initiate class. He transferred from Erudite. So four's a transfer. Eric's a transfer. Tris is a transfer. Christina's a transfer. Everyone's a fucking transfer. Except it still seems like transferring is the craziest thing that can ever happen. And she's like, oh, well, you were transfer too. And he says, I thought I would only have trouble with the candor asking too many questions. Oh, this again. They all just characterize each other based on their factions and just assume they all behave a certain way. It's just so infuriating. Oh, and she gets really sarcastic with him. She says, it must be because you're so approachable, you know, like a bed of nails. And then he's staring at her and not looking away. And so she's staring right back. She says, he isn't a dog, but the same rules apply. Looking away is submissive. Looking him in the eye is a challenge. It's my choice. And I was like, okay, but three chapters ago when you were actually face to face with a dog, you did neither of those things. You lied down. So 
And he just says, careful, Triss. But then a dauntless member at another table calls out Thor's name and Triss turns back to Christina. And Christina's like, oh, you have a death wish. And uh, they're, they're having a whole conversation as if Thor left the table, but it doesn't, it doesn't seem that way. I think Thor just turned around to look at another table and they're having a chat like he's not there. I don't know. So then after dinner, Thor ditches them and Eric's leading them somewhere. And she, she's not quite sure where. And Eric says, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Eric. I am one of five leaders of the Dauntless. He really did rise up the ranks quick. It must be said, props to Eric. Because I, I feel like four has been there for two years. Four and Eric were in the same class. So Eric in two years is now one of the five leaders. Fantastic work, Eric. I, I must congratulate you. Props to you, mama. And he says, we take the initiation process very seriously here. So I volunteered to oversee most of your training. And she's like, oh, I don't like the idea of that. And he says, here are the rules. You have to be in the training room by eight o'clock every day. Training takes place every day from eight to six with a break for lunch. That's a shit ton of training. You can do whatever you want after six. And you will also get some time off between each stage of initiation. And she's like, do what I like. What? I don't know what I like to do. I've, I never had free time in my life. And he says, behind these doors is where you'll be sleeping for the next few weeks. You'll notice that there are 10 beds and only nine of you. And he says, we anticipated that a higher proportion of you would make it this far. And Christina's like, yeah, but we started with 12 of us. And he's like, oh, well, there's always at least one transfer who doesn't make it to the compound. I, I'm struggling with the math here. Christina said there were 12 transfers let's call them because there was a whole bunch of initiates from dauntless um so she says there's there's 12 and we we lost the amity guy on the train there was the other guy who couldn't catch the train and then there was the chick that went kasplat on the pavement but i thought she was dauntless so as far as i can tell there was only 11 transfers unless someone else dropped off that i don't know about I, i don't know i don't know but christina's the numbers gal so we'll just have to trust her And then he says, we're keeping you separate from the Dauntless Born initiates, but at the end of initiation, your rankings will be determined in comparison with them. (sighs) What is this system? And they are better than you already, so you're probably going to drop off. And then a mousy-haired erudite girl says, rankings? Why are we ranked? (laughs) And Eric's like, well, your rankings serve two purposes. The first is that it determines the order in which you will select a job after initiation. There are only a few desirable positions available. What? What is this system? The second purpose is that only the top 10 initiates are made members. What the fuck? Oh, and then he tells us there are 11 Dauntless Borns and nine nine transfers. And I think the scale is way off. The way the choosing ceremony went down, uh, it seems like everyone was picking their own faction. But now there's only 11 Dauntless Borns and nine of them? How many people went from Dauntless to not Dauntless? I I mean, there was that one Dauntless guy that tripped on the way to the bowls. (laughs) Like, obviously, he was not cut out. How did he survive getting on and off the train every day? I don't know. But yeah, there's only 11 Dauntless spawns. That shocks me. It's like, well, if it's practically half and half, why are you splitting them up anyway? Just lump them all together. But yeah, so there's, what, 20 people and you're only going to take 10 at the end of it. Why? The other 10 are just going to become factionless. Just accept them all. Resources can't be that low if you're having extravagant dinners like hamburgers. He says four will be cut at the end of stage one and the remainder will be cut after the final test. And it's like, even if you came 10th, 
you'd make it, but you'd get a shit job. And if you came 11th, well, have fun being factionless. What? What? Why are they doing? And it's like, my understanding is that the Dauntless are the army. They're the army protecting the city. Why would you not want as many as you can get? But they're just throwing away half of them. And then she thinks my odds as the smallest initiate, as the only abnegation transfer, are not good. I mean, I don't know if coming from abnegation has anything to do with it. And so this is when Eric's like, yeah, if you don't make it, you leave the compound, you become factionless. And the mousy haired girl, she's shocked. She's stifling a sob. And that's when she's remembering the factionless guy snatching the bag of apples. And she's like, oh God, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. And again, I say, he wouldn't have had to snatch the apple slices off you if you just gave them to him, but okay. And so this candy girl called Molly, she's like, well, that's not fair if we'd known. And Eric's like, up, 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 Are you saying that if you had known this before the choosing ceremony, you wouldn't have chosen Dauntless? Because if that's the case, get out now. If you really are one of us, it won't matter to you that you might fail. And if it does, you are a coward. And he says, you chose us, now we have to choose you. Which I agree with Molly. Mousy-haired Molly, she, she's got a point. If I'd known, I would have picked Amity and baked a cake. So then we cut to another little paragraph section. She says, I lie in bed and listen to nine people breathing. So we know there's just nine people in the room, including her. So she's, she's listening to herself breathing. Like, I would have thought you'd be like, oh, I listen to eight other people breathing while they're asleep and I'm awake. But no, she's also listening to herself breathe. And what's keeping her up is that she's never slept in the same room as a boy before. And everyone else got changed into dauntless clothes, but she stayed in her abnegation clothes because they smell like soap and fresh air and like home. And I think it's probably because she didn't want to get changed in front of boys. And then because of the smell, it triggers a memory. She's thinking about home and then she's crying a little bit. It's like, bitch, you left that day. How are you homesick already? And she's like, come on, cheer up. I can look at my own reflection now. (laughs) I can cut my hair short. So she's trying to convince herself that she made the right decision. And then in the bunk next to her, there's a candor boy, Al, and he's crying as well. And apparently because he's big and broad, he's the last person she would have expected to have ever had a little breakdown. And she's like, oh, I know I should comfort him. I should want to comfort him because, you know, that's how I was raised. But instead I feel disgust. Someone who looks so strong shouldn't act so weak. Why can't he just keep his crying quiet like the rest of us? What a fucking bitch. (laughs) There's no way she could have been abnegation. I think do the test again. She's not divergent. She's just a bitch. So then she's got the pillow around her ears to block out Al's crying. (laughs) She falls asleep. (laughs) And she's crying as well. But no, she's she's making out like Al's doing the worst thing in the world just because he's having a little bit of a cry. Poor Al. What's his story? I hope we find out. So then we go to the next chapter and they're in training already. And it's for saying the first thing you will learn today is how to shoot a gun. The second thing is how to win a fight. And he says, thankfully, if you're here, you already know how to get on and off a moving train. So I don't need to teach you that. Kind of, you know, too soon to be making jokes since that girl did plummet to her death, but okay. And he says, basically what Eric told us yesterday, he says, initiation is divided into three stages. We will measure your progress and rank you according to your performance. But the stages are not weighed equally in determining your final rank. So it is possible, though difficult, to drastically improve your rank over time. So immediately, my foreshadowing radar has pinged that she'll do shit at the start and then get better as things go on, like, obviously. But, like, why, why are you having different stages if they're not ranked the same? Like, why are you setting people up for a fail? 
whereas they can't improve their ranking, then why have a ranking system if you can't improve your ranking? What? Uh, the stages are not weighed equally. Uh, what? Then why have them? And he says, we believe that preparation eradicates cowardice, which we define as the failure to act in the midst of fear. I don't know if that's how I define cowardice, but sure. And he says, therefore, each stage of initiation is intended to prepare you in a different way. The first stage is physical, the second emotional, the third mental. So basically what he's saying is, we weigh each of these things differently. Physical, obviously, we, we weigh that being the most important. Emotional and mental, meh. <laughs> Who cares? And then some guy called Peter, he's yawning, being like, what's a gun got to do with it? And four, like, points a gun at him which is kind of aggro. And he's like, wake up. You are holding a loaded gun, you idiot. Act like it. And so Peter snaps too. And Tris says, I'm surprised he can stop himself from responding after speaking his mind all his life in candor. But he does, his cheeks red. And I'm like, yeah, just because he's raised in candor doesn't mean that he always has to speak his mind. You were raised in abnegation and you didn't comfort Al last night when he was sobbing in bed. And also his cheeks red. His cheeks red. They don't go red. They don't turn red. They don't blush red. They don't flush red. His cheeks just red. So then Four starts taking them through some target practice. And she's thinking about how her family would never approve of her firing a gun. They would say that guns are used for self-defense, if not violence, and therefore they are self-serving. So you can't even practice self-defense when you're in abnegation. Uh, are Are you shitting me? You're shitting me. You can't even practice self-defense because that's selfish. Get fucked. Abnegation, so annoying. So she starts shooting. She's not hitting the target. She's not very good at it. And the erudite boy next to her, his name's Will. And I'm like, oh, thank God we're learning their names because she keeps describing them as erudite boy here, candor boy here. And I'm like, yeah, learn their names. So this guy's called Will. And he's like, statistically speaking, you should have hit the target at least once by now, even by accident. And I'm like, okay, Will. Do you want to like dial back the condescension for a second? Like statistically speaking, you should have hit the target. I don't think so. She's fired the gun like four fucking times. There's no statistics that say that she should hit it at least once. What studies have you done on this? When did you have time to crunch the numbers? And so then she has another shot and she just makes the edge of the target. And Will says, so you see, I'm right. The stats don't lie. It's like, what stats, Will? Just because you were born in Erudite, all of a sudden you're a cast member from the Big Bang Theory and you know all about statistics. Anyway, after five rounds, she finally hits the bullseye or at least the middle of the target. And she's like, aha, I do belong here, maybe. Okay. And then it's lunchtime and she's massaging her arms because it hurts after firing a gun so many times. And Christina, she's like, oh, Al, sit down next to us. But every time she looks at Al, she hears his sobs. So she's just like trying to avoid looking at him. What a bitch. And Christina's like, Al, how do you not remember me? We were in math together just a few days ago. And Al's like, I slept through math most of the time. It was the first hour. Like, okay, what a fun little bit of character building. And then Christina's like, hey, Tris, Tris. And she like, because Tris has been daydreaming. So she snaps Tris out of a daydream. And she's like, oh, did you ever remember taking a class with me? And she's like, I mean, no offense, but I probably wouldn't remember you if, if we did. All the abnegation looked the same to me. It's like, yeah, shouldn't all of these people know each other if they've been at school together? How does she know no one's name when, yeah, they were at school together for years? And Christina's like, oops, am I being rude? I'm used to just saying whatever is on my mind. 
Mum used to say that politeness is deception in pretty packaging. Man, it must be rough being candor. Like, not as rough as dauntless and abnegation, obviously, but just, like, imagine walking around town with all your little candor pals and them just being like, oh, you look tired. Oh, you look shit today. Did you not get much sleep? They'd be like, you know what? You can keep some opinions to yourself. I don't care how you're raised, what faction you're in, but you don't have to be telling the truth all the time. And Tris laughs. She's like, I guess that's why our factions don't usually associate with each other. And she says, candor and abnegation don't hate each other the way erudite and abnegation do, but they do avoid each other. Candor's real problem is with amity. She says, those who seek peace above all else, they say, will always deceive to keep the water calm. So all the factions hate each other. That's what I'm getting from this. And like Candor just hates Amity because Amity are nice. That I can kind of, I can kind of get with that. You know, sometimes people are just so nice. You're like, oh, fuck off. But imagine picking Amity to have a rivalry with. Like Candor, I feel like you could have aimed higher or something. Like, like just people being nice. That's what pisses you off the most. And so then Will comes over from Erudite, you know, statistics loving Will. He sits down. And they're like, why aren't you sitting with your little erudite friends? And he's like, oh, Edward and Myra, they're dating and I would rather not be the third wheel. And so then Tris looks over and Edward and Myra, they're sitting at the table and they're like kissing. And Tris is, Tris is shocked. She is like, oh my God, I've only ever seen a few kisses in my life. And so she looks away and she's like, oh my God, do they have to be so public about it? And everyone's sort of like, um, they just kissed. It's not like they're naked or anything. And Triss is like, a kiss is not something you do in public. And they're all like, um, and I'm like, uh, you would not thrive at like a gay bar. <laughs> if Triss ever went to a gay bar and saw the things that I've seen when I've gone clubbing, oh, she, she would drop dead. Her hair would curl if she had seen the things I'd seen at a gay nightclub bathroom. Let me tell you what, because she's seen a little peck between people who are dating at a dining table. Man, <laughs> and Christina's like, yeah, this is kind of fine. I think this is just an abnegation thing. And Triss is like, oh, I guess I'll just have to get over it then. And then they joke about her being frigid. So then after lunch, they go to a new room and inside it, there's a chalkboard. And she's like, oh my God, a chalkboard. I haven't seen one of them in years. And she's like, wow, maybe it's a dauntless thing. Training comes first, technology comes second. Which doesn't make any sense to me. And on the board, their names are written in alphabetical order. So we've gone back to alphabetical, not reverse alphabetical. So that's a step, that's a step in the right direction. And then hanging up, there are all these punching bags. And so four's like, today we're going over technique. Tomorrow you will start to fight each other. So go and punch some bags. They're punching some bags. Four's walking around giving them pointers. And when he stops in front of Triss, her insides twist like someone's stirring them with a fork. Yeah, that's called attraction. And he says to her, you don't have much muscle, which means you're better off using your knees and elbows. You can put more power behind them. And then he puts a hand onto her stomach. And she says, his fingers are so long that though the heel of his hand touches one side of my rib cage, his fingertips still touch the other side. And I invite everyone listening now to, to try that on your own rib cage. And I don't know if I'm just like, a chunky monkey or something, because I can't do that. Or maybe my fingers are too short, but that's ridiculous. She's practically got both of her ribs in one hand. Those must be some long fingers or she must be a skinny mini. I mean, I can't even, I can't even grab 
Grab it with two hands. Do I just have big ribs? My mum says I'm big boned. Anyway, he's like, never forget to keep tension here while he's like holding her ribs. And she's a bit flustered. She's like, oh, geez, what was that? You know, they're just building up the romance. Was it really necessary for him to to lay hands on her, to touch her body, to just demonstrate that she needs to kick from her elbows and hold tension in her core? I mean, I don't think so. I don't think it was very appropriate, but hey, the Dauntless do what they want to do. So then afterwards, Four dismisses them for dinner and Christina's like, wow, I saw that. And Christina's like, oh, he scares the hell out of me. And Tristus is like, yeah, he's definitely intimidating, but she's thinking he's quiet. He's remarkably self-possessed. It's like, okay, you've got the hots for him. We know. And then Al, crybaby Al, he's like, I want to get a tattoo. Who's with me? And Will's like, a tattoo of what? And Al's like, I just want to get something to feel like I've left the old faction, you know, to stop crying about it. I know you guys have heard me, which is fucking awkward. And Christina's like, yeah, if we want to get all the way in, instead of being half in, half out, let's all get a tattoo. And Triss is like, nah, I don't know about this, guys. I'm not going to cut my hair. I'm not going to dye it a strange color or pierce my face. I was like, well, aren't they talking about tattoos? No one's talking about a haircut. So Christina just tells the rest of them that, her and Triss will meet Al and Will later at the tattoo parlor. <laughs> Which I just think is so funny that there's just a tattoo parlor in the middle of the pit. And I'm like, so is this a job? Like, I thought Dauntless were the army. They're the brave ones. But no, apparently one of their jobs is, is to be a tattoo artist. Like, no, no shade to tattoo artists. But like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Dauntless, they can only take 10 people a year. And these are the jobs that they've got to fill. Tattoo artist. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's a high priority job in this society. Again, no shade, no shade. Anyway, Christina's telling Tris that her ugly clothes are ugly and gigantic and gray. And she's like, please let me pick you out something. And she says, 10 minutes later, she's standing in front of a mirror in the clothing place wearing a knee length black dress. And then Christina takes Tris's hair tie out and shakes, shakes it out of its braid. So it falls down over her shoulders. And then she pulls out a black pencil and she's like, it's eyeliner. And and Triss is like, you're not going to be able to make me pretty. I just know it. Anyway, so then Christina just like starts giving her a makeover like it's she's all that or he's all that. And just like in he's all that, she's all that, they they do barely anything. She She took a braid out, put some eyeliner on her face, put her in a dress or a skirt at least. And apparently there's this huge big makeover because when she's done... She opens her eyes, and for the first time, she stares openly at her own reflection. I mean, I thought she was staring at her reflection previously, like when she was walking into the aptitude test, when she was getting a haircut with her mum, when she was just looking in the mirror when she tried on that skirt. I, I, I mean, that's just from from my reading of the book. She's already looked in the mirror, but okay. She's looking at the mirror, and she's like, oh, my God. She says, my eyes were blue before, but a dull grayish blue. This eyeliner makes them piercing. With my hair framing my face, my features look softer and fuller. It's like, okay, yeah, great. A huge makeover. Well done. You put on some eyeliner and you let your hair out. And with the whole looking at the mirror thing, she's like expecting to be scolded for it. She says, it will be difficult to break the habits of thinking abnegation instilled in me. As I said previously, you had an easy time ignoring Al while he was crying his heart out at night. I think you'll be fine. You're not very abnegation-minded in the first place. And she says, looking in the mirror now, it's like looking at a completely different person. 
<laughs> and Christina's like, see, you're striking. So yeah, it's a full he's all that, she's all that moment. By the way, did you guys watch he's all that on Netflix? What a ridiculously camp, horribly executed, poorly filmed, poorly acted, wonderful movie. I loved every second of it. <laughs> I loved the product placement every time. They were consuming something with the label pointed outwards. I was like, have a drink. You know when that like that lesbian friend was sitting in the back seat with the big KFC bucket? <laughs> and she was like, this is great KFC. I was like, oh my goodness. And have you seen how people have found all the mistakes and are putting them on TikTok where like Addison Ray, she's like pretending to hand out flyers and she's not actually handing anything out. She's just miming it. It's like, bitch, the camera's rolling. This isn't a rehearsal. This is a take. Hand out the flyers. And then the green screen work was so bad when she was doing her little TikTok dance at karaoke at the beach. And you could see her hand was like disappearing. (laughs) What a shit, shit movie that I loved. I absolutely loved it. Anyway, she thinks the makeover was a great thing because it's helping her leave her abnegation identity behind her, blah, blah, blah. And apparently back home in abnegation, every six months or so, you would get to pick up a stack of fresh clothes. And everyone was wearing the same stack of clothing. But at Dauntless... Everyone gets a certain amount of points to spend per month. And then the dress costs one point. I think I prefer the Dauntless system. It makes me feel like I'm at a arcade time zone type of game place. You know, when you get little tickets and you trade in the tickets for shitty prizes. Like that's what my life would feel like if I were in Dauntless. And I think that's exciting. So they get to the tattoo parlor. Al's already sitting in the chair, getting a spider tattooed on his arm. And she's wandering around the tattoo room looking at all the artwork on the walls. And she says, these days, the only artists are in Amity. Abnegation sees art as impractical and it's appreciation as time that could be spent serving others. So though I have seen works of art in textbooks, I have never been in a decorated room before. So they didn't even have decorated rooms at school. I don't know about that, Tris. Also abnegation, you just have a, piece of fucking art up on the wall. You're not standing there looking at it for hours on end. No one's just standing looking at a painting like you're in an art gallery. You just hang it up in your house and you just enjoy the feng shui. I think they take it too far. Abnegation, I hate you. And apparently only Amity can be artistic. (laughs) What the fuck? And so then she sees a picture of a hawk on a wall and that reminds her of Tori's tattoo. (laughs) And then what do you know? Tori's behind her being like, oh, that's a raven. Pretty, right? And she turns around and, oh my God, there's Tori. (laughs) And she thinks, oh, I didn't expect to see her again. Uh, why not? She was Dauntless. You met her. And then a day later you chose to join Dauntless. Why would you, why would you not expect to ever run into her again? And Triss is like, oh wow, do you work here? And she's like, yeah, I just took a break to administer the tests. Most of the time I'm here. So this is her job. She either was born dauntless or became dauntless, trained with guns and punching bags, went through the whole process just to end up as a tattoo artist. Uh, It's me. It really does stump me. And so Triss is like, oh, actually, while you're here, Tori, I've got some questions to to ask you. And Tori's like, ah, maybe not. She said, I helped you as much as I could. And now you have to go about it alone. And Triss is like, she has answers. I know she does. If she won't give them to me now, I will have to find a new way to make her tell me some other time. And Satori's like, okay, how about you just have a tattoo instead? 
And she's thinking about it. She's like, oh, I know if I have another tattoo, it'll place another wedge between me and my family that I can never remove. It's like, well, you've already, you've already picked different factions. You're pretty much never going to see them again, apart from visiting day. So like, okay, move on. What's a tattoo? They're not going to be like, oh, you know what, Tris? Come back. If you want to come back, come back. And then they'll like see a tattoo and be like, oh, no, no, we were going to let you back, but that's the last straw. What the fuck? I know I'm saying that a lot, but like, what the fuck? And then she understands what Tori said about her tattoo representing a fear she overcame. And I was like, well, that's not, that's not exactly the case. She got a tattoo, which made her overcome her fear. It didn't signify her overcoming her fear. She got a tattoo of a hawk, which represents the sun, which represents a nightlight. (laughs) So I, I don't know. I wouldn't be trusting Tori when it comes to choosing a tattoo. So she's like, you know what? I found a way to honor my old life as I embrace my new one. So she gets a tattoo of three flying birds, one for each member of the family she left behind and they're on her collarbone. So they're marking the path of their flight towards her heart, which seems really beautiful and well thought out considering she just came up with that in a a split second. And that's the end of that chapter. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Now let's look at chapter nine. It's, it's another training day. And four is saying, since there's an odd number of you, one of you won't be fighting today. And that's Triss. So there's a board in the training room with, with all of the matchups. Seems odd to just let one person sit out. Like, maybe you could fight her then. I don't know. Get in a sub from, from the Dauntless Born initiates. If your whole initiation process hinges on having even numbers, then maybe you need to have a rethink about how you manage your initiation process. 
So she quickly tells us that her and Christina have been bonding lately. They sit together at breakfast and Christina shields her from the rest of the dorm while she gets changed. And she's like, I've never had a friend like this before, which is kind of nice, kind of cute. And she says, well, I guess I've never actually really had a friend. It's impossible to have real friendships when no one feels like they can accept help or even talk about themselves. Ugh, abnegation. Ugh. And so Christina, she's up against Molly, who she calls the tank, just because Molly is tall and has broad shoulders, bronze skin, and a bulbous nose. Okay, I think that's kind of an unfair nickname to call her a tank, just because she's got big shoulders. But I think Christina must know them. They must be from the same faction. So she points at Molly and Peter and Drew and she hates them. She says, those three, they're inseparable. I hate them. And Tris is like, well, what's wrong with them? And she says, well, Peter's pure evil. When we were kids, he would pick fights with people from other factions. And then when an adult came to break it up, he'd cry and make up some story about how the other kids started it. And of course they would believe him because we were candor and we couldn't lie. Where, where, are they, where are these kids interacting? Why would you just assume that, that the candor people are telling the truth? Like, what if he'd picked a fight with an Amity who's meant to be nice? Would, would the adult in the room just assume that candor was telling the truth and that Amity had betrayed their faction by not being nice? People can still lie. Ah! And apparently Molly's the kind of person who fries ants with a magnifying glass just to watch them flail around. So, yeah, they, they don't seem like great people. And in the arena, Will and Al, they're matched up against each other. And so they, yeah, they're forced to engage in hand-to-hand combat. And they have to like keep going until someone drops. And meanwhile, while Al and Will are like beating the shit out of each other, they're still talking about Molly, Peter and Drew. Just really setting up a bit of tension here. And Triss is like, I think they know we're talking about them. And Christina's like, yeah, so what? They know I hate them. And she's like, oh my God, how? And she's like, because I tell them. (laughs) I'm candor, bitch. So at this point, Will and Al are still like, ah, this is great. When's the fight over? And Eric's like, keep fighting each other. And Al's like, is it scored or something? What's going on here? And Eric's like, it ends when one of you is unable to continue. And Four's like, well, one of them could surrender. And Eric's like, nah, uh, uh, not under my rules. A brave man never surrenders. Is that, is that stolen from Braveheart? I don't know where he's getting that from. I think you can show bravery in a lot of different ways. And maybe sometimes surrendering is the brave option. It's just like how, you know, Neville got 10 points in in Philosopher's Stone for standing up to Harry and Ron and Hermione. And he got Petrificus Totalist. Bravery. It comes in different forms. That's all I'm saying. Neville Longbottom. He killed the snake. So then Al and Will are just, you know, left to keep fighting. And she's watching and she narrates, when I was younger, I read a book about grizzly bears. There was a picture of one standing on its hind legs with its paws outstretched roaring. That's how Al looks now. And I was like, wow, you you got a picture book in abnegation? That certainly seems a bit self-indulgent and extravagant. However, did you get a book into abnegation? And a picture book? I thought you never saw pictures. Anyway, Al knocks Will the fuck out. Little Big Bang Theory Will, he gets knocked out and his pale green eyes, which are pale, pale green like celery, she tells us. <laughs> okay. They roll back into his head. So Will's completely knocked out. Al wins. Next up, Molly and Christina. Meanwhile, Four helps Will go to, I guess, like a little hospital type station in the middle of the pit or something. He leaves. And that makes her nervous because now it's just Eric. And she says, 
Leaving us with Eric is like hiring a babysitter who spends his time sharpening knives. What are these metaphors that she's sprinkling in here? What? What? Hiring a babysitter who spends his time sharpening knives? When has that ever happened? What are you talking about, Tris? And then she says, Christina tucks her hair behind her ears. It is chin length black and pinned back with silver clips. Okay, so what's she tucking behind her ears then if it's all pinned back with clips? Those clips mustn't be very effective if she's got her hair dangling, bu- dangling in front of her ears. Oh, oh. So at this point, Christina and Molly are bashing the shit out of each other. These are 16 year old kids, by the way. I feel like we're glossing over the fact that they're 16 and they're being forced to bash the shit out of each other. So Molly is laying into Christina. Christina's bleeding. She's, she's on the ground and Molly's kicking the shit out of her. And then finally, Christina says, stop, stop, stop. I'm done. And Tris is like, oh, what a relief. And I was like, did you not miss the whole speech Eric gave about not giving up? I was like, Christina, if you really wanted it to stop, just pretend you passed out. Just pretend you passed out. You don't have to do the whole stop, stop, I give up thing. Like, that's clearly not what you should be doing. And Eric's like, what was that? And so then Eric walks over, he's pissed, and he says to her, get up. And I'm not, I'm not sure if she actually does get up or not, but he grabs her arm and he yanks her out the door and he says to the rest of them, follow me. And so then we cut to, they're down near the river in the middle of the chasm underneath the waterfall. And he's pushed her against the railing, because I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but that's the one spot where they do have a railing, down near the river. Up above at the pit, they're, they're more than happy to be walking precariously, but down near the river, they need some safety. And he says to her, climb over the railing. And she's like, what? I'm not, I'm not climbing over the railing. And Eric's like, do it. Climb over the railing. If you can hang over the chasm for five minutes, I will forget your cowardice. If you can't, I will not allow you to continue initiation. And Tris is thinking, well, this is fucked up. I mean, the river is wetting the railing. How's she going to hold on for long enough? And if she's brave enough to attempt it, she might slip and die. Or she could just not attempt it and then she'll be factionless forever. And she's like, I would rather not be factionless. So Christina, she's game. She's like, all right, let's do it. So she climbs over the railing, she grabs on. And next to her, Al sets his watch. If I was Al, I'd, I'd be sitting down. Al just took a real big beating as well. He, he won, he beat Will, but he also got punched a fair bit. I'd be like, you know what, guys? Christina, good luck. I'm just going to sit down in the corner and rest up for a bit. But nah, Al's watching. He's a good guy. Even if he is a crybaby. And for the first minute and a half, she's holding on. She's fine. But then the, the water picks up in this, in this river. In this river in the middle of a chasm. Oh, I, d- I don't know where this exists in Chicago. But this river and the waterfall, it's really picking up. And it's splashing about. And it's making everything slippery. And so she's slipping. She's now just holding on with just her fingertips. And, and Tris is thinking, oh, you know what? Do I go and help? Do I do the abnegation thing and I help out? But if I do that, then they're probably going to make me be factionless because I'm not allowed to help. And factionless, that's worse than death. I still don't think it is, but she thinks it is. And Christine is crying. She's slipping even more. And, and Tris is just standing there motionless, not doing a freaking thing. And then Al, he gets the bright idea to maybe cheer her on. And I was like, Tris, how did that thought not come to you at all? Like, oh, you can't go and help. You could send a word of encouragement. Thank God Al's there. Al's like, come on, Christina, you can do it. Grab that railing. But Tris doesn't even join in. She says, no one else cheers her on. 
but Al brings his big hands together and shouts. And she's like, oh, I wish I could. I wish I could move, but I just stare at her and wonder how long I have been this disgustingly selfish. So Christina's fighting for her life and she's just there thinking about herself. Just wondering about her own personality. Like, it's not all about you, Tris. And so she looks at Al's watch. It's only been four minutes. And then finally she starts cheering along. She's like, one minute left. Come on, Christina. So her and Al are cheering. And then she's thinking to herself, if she slips again, I'll help. But only if she slips again. And then guess what? She does slip and and Tris does nothing. (laughs) She does nothing. But Christina, you know, writes herself. She catches the bar. And then it's five minutes and Al's like, okay, it's five minutes. And Eric's like, oh, is it? And he's like slowly checking his watch, dragging it out. And Tris gets this image of Rita's sister on the pavement below the train tracks. Limbs bent at strange angles. I see Rita screaming and sobbing. And I'm like, what? Who the fuck's Rita? I think she's talking about the dauntless person that fell, fell onto the pavement, Kasplat. And they must've had a sister called Rita. And she must know them. She knows the first name. All of a sudden she caught up. She never knew their first name. She didn't know their relationship dynamic, but I I guess they had an interaction that I missed. And now she knows that that's Rita's sister. What an odd point to bring that back up again. So then Eric's like, okay, Christina, pull yourself up. And Al goes to help her. And he's not technically allowed to, but Al stands up to Eric. She did what you said. She's not a coward. I'm going to go help her. Props to Al. I'm a big fan of crybaby Al. And again, I would have thought he'd be exhausted from that big fight, but he helps. And Tris, Tris finally, selfish Tris, she's finally like, oh, maybe I should help too. So she, she, she makes a cursory attempt at trying to help pull her up, but she's not good. She's no help. So Al pulls her up with Tris lending the littlest bit of help. And then Christina's there. She's on the floor. They're all kneeling down and breathing together. And that's the end of the chapter. So Eric's a fucking psycho. That's what we learned. Christina's a badass bitch. Although she's, she's dumb. She could have just pretended to play dead. Al is a crybaby, but he's quite strong. Uh, What else did we learn? Will loves the stats. Nothing gets Will more excited than some statistics. We learned that Rita had a sister who went kasplat. Yeah. I mean, lots going on in these past three chapters. We learned that Tori, Tori is a tattoo artist and that's her one job in Dauntless. Everyone else is in the army except for Tori. What did you guys think of those three chapters? Did you like it? Did you hate it? I think Divergent I'm finding as I'm reading it, it's, it's written better than Twilight and New Moon and 365 Days and the Fifty Shades. Like it's, it's better written than them. It's just the plot that is just so silly. The whole concept behind the book, I'm just... I can't get on board with, but I am enjoying reading it. There, I said it. Over on the Patreon, we just finished chapter four of Fifty Shades Darker, which is when Christian starts playing with some ice cream in bed. He starts putting ice cream on um, Anna's nipples. It's a whole disgusting little scene. We just broke that down. If you want to hear it, sign up to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books. It's $3 a month. You get a new episode every week into an exclusive feed. Once you sign up, you get your link to the feed. You put that into your podcasting platform and it'll just push the new episodes through to you every Friday. Set and forget. You don't have to do anything. And also your pledges are charged at the start of each month. So you could theoretically 
sign up today, listen to a few chapters. And if it's not your thing, you can just cancel it before you get charged. So it's sort of like a one month free trial type thing. Think of it like that. And as always, any questions, concerns, thoughts, theories, hit me up, breakingdownpod at gmail.com, breakingdownbadbooks on Instagram. And I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.